How's everybody doing? Everybody had a good week? Yeah? Did anybody not have a good week? Would anybody admit to that? Like, anybody have a bad week? All right, that's, that's good. I know somebody that had a good week. Yeah, right. Avril, Avril, Avril won the Savannah, Dancing with the Savannah Stars on Friday. And uh, I mean, that was, a, that was a year and a half of life that you uh, dedicated to that, right? In support of, uh, in support of Savannah Chatham Casa, which is an amazing organization run by just one of the most fantastic people I've ever met in my entire life. Like she's the one, and we've got some Casa volunteers. You got it going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hand me that thing up. Thank you. Oh, oh, iPad down. Yeah, hand me that thing up. That'll be great. That'll be great. We'll get that doing. We're a little, uh, we got the relaxed outdoor setting. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not so programmed oriented as we used to be. Nice, nice. All right. Yeah, we got it. Okay. Let's get it. Hey, at least this week I've got the uh, characters out of the last week I started. I don't know how many of you noticed, but like the characters were all still stuck away in the bag, not prepared at all. And I had to try and figure out what I was doing. Um, professional. We're professional here at, uh, here at Tapestry. So <clears throat> we uh, have spent the last couple weeks... Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at um, kind of the, the, the buildup and the, and the moment that, that led to the death of Jesus and what it was that he had done that, uh, that kind of finally sent the religious leaders over, over the edge and caused them to uh, finally plot his death and move forward. And then last week, we looked at um, what was the amazing foundation of our faith, the resurrection, um, after that death. And so what we're going to do is for the next few weeks... We're going to kind of just keep the story rolling and we're going to look at uh, some of the things that happened in the media aftermath um, of the resurrection and specifically um, looking at the beginning of the church. Um, And and as I was going through and reviewing some of this stuff this week, um, it just seemed really applicable for the situation that we find ourselves in. Um, Now, I I don't know... uh, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of church, but I don't think it was what the early church thought of when they thought of church. So we, we, when we left last week, Jesus was back with us. He'd been resurrected. He was back with us and, and he showed up and he talked to a couple of a group of his disciples. Who do we want to be the disciples? Mm, uh, these guys will be the disciples. So he talks to his disciples. He says, Hey, I've risen. I told you, you didn't know what I was talking about, but I did it. And so, and so they're looking at him and they're like, wow, they're totally amazed. They're like, we totally saw you die. Now you're totally here in front of us, right? And they still didn't get it because they asked him a question when they were together. And they said, they said, hey, so now are you going to establish your kingdom? Like even after all of that, they still thought that Jesus was gonna boot out the Romans right? Set up his little kingdom that they were going to have their spot. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to do something better. And they're like, better than that? He's like, yeah, better than that. He says, so I'm going to take off out of here soon. And then I'm going to send the spirit and you're going to get the power of the spirit. And here's what you're going to do with that power. And they're like, well, okay, the power. Yeah, sure. Like you're going to go tell people about me. 
Now that's not a quote, that's my paraphrase. That's essentially what he said. Now, I don't think they thought that was better. (laughs) I think they were picturing themselves, you know, uh, next to basic royalty and that was gonna be better. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna get power from the Holy Spirit and with that power, you're gonna go and you're gonna be my witnesses. So the disciples are like, okay, well, we're not sure of that. So like not too long after, um, they were in Jerusalem and there was a whole crowd of people gathered, right? Cause it was still, there was some festival stuff still going on. And so there was a whole group of people. And so now we'll, we'll move the disciples to the back cause they, they know the message. They didn't need the front pew. They could sit in the back, but like there was, there was a whole group there, these guys and they were there, right? And then these, these ladies were there. They were all hanging out there. Jerusalem was just full, right? And so, and so with Jerusalem being full, Peter, who was always the disciple that took the chances, right? Peter, Peter thought, well, I can't have all these people together and not say something, right? Classic preacher, man, as soon as you get some people together, like, oh, I've got to take, I got to take opportunity of this. I got to preach. So he unleashes basically what is the very first sermon in the movement of what we know as the church, And it was an interesting sermon because he basically looked at him and said, you people killed him and he's back. So now repent and join us. Like that was the, you know, it was a very, you know, early on those first cut, that that first message, man, when they were talking to the people in Jerusalem who played a role, you know, maybe, maybe some of the guilt from the church comes a little honestly because Peter laid it on you people who killed him. You people, yeah, I saw you chanting for him instead of, you know, not freeing him, but free Barabbas. Yeah, I saw you not, yeah, I saw you, you, you. But now he's back and all's forgiven. Now, I, I don't know what emotions or what thoughts or ideas are evoked when you hear the word church. Um, but my hunch is, is that it's a very far cry from what the first century followers of Jesus thought, right? Especially when it came to some of these initial gatherings, right? Because from the very beginning, the church has been a movement. It's been a movement. It didn't begin with an institution, right? It didn't begin with liturgy. It didn't begin with tradition, Like those weren't the basis. There weren't any Bibles. There weren't any bands and singing. There weren't any buildings. There were no staff. There was no hierarchy amongst the whole religious organizations, right? The church wasn't any of that. The church began as a movement, as a movement. And it was a movement around that event that we celebrated last week, the resurrection. In fact, early on, like the sole message of the church, the sole message was the resurrection That's what galvanized the followers of Jesus because that resurrection was like, yeah, so he is who he claimed to be. And it was was the witnesses of that event, the disciples and some of the others who basically launched the movement of the church with that idea. Now, as we kind of get rolling into today, looking at at what happened after Jesus left and how the church got formed and some of the things um, that happened, we're we're gonna look at a Greek word today and so you can feel like we went deep, right? I got some meat today. We had a Greek word. Um, so we're going to do that. My goal for today is perhaps, especially coming out of the year that we've had, is perhaps maybe to get us to rethink church a little bit, 
and maybe redefine on an emotional level what we think it's all about because it actually launched as a movement and, and is still moving today. Now, now here's the fascinating, slightly academic part of this. Um, in the Greek, the New Testament word that was translated into church is a word that's in English is pronounced ekklesia. Um, I would try and say it in Greek. I can't, I, you don't want that. Um, but ekklesia is the word and the literal definition of that word is an assembly or a gathering uh, or a congregation. And when Jesus launched a church, he did it as a gathering around a singular, simple idea with a simple mission and a simple focus. But then a terrible, terrible thing happened in history. Um, There was a transition that went from the idea of the church being a movement to the church being a location, right? There's a transition between it being a gathering around an idea to a hierarchy of people in different levels of charge and who's got to report to who and just kind of that whole idea. It went from being a gathering around this idea to something entirely different. And that period of history, um, if you know history at all, Christianity went through some really embarrassingly dark times throughout this transition. Right, And it was launched, that, that time of darkness within the church and this whole transition as to what church meant, it was based on kind of a misunderstanding or misinterpretation of the term church, of what church was. And that little word, ecclesia, that, that when they were writing it at the time into the New Testament could not have been more clear of what it was that they were talking about, right? It, it, it transitioned into something different. And actually, actually there, there's a German word that I also can't pronounce. The closest I can get to it is, is Kirche. And, and that word, um, that word is actually came from the Goths around mm, 300 AD or so, about three centuries after the time of Christ. And that word is where we get our word that we use now in English for church for church, right? And it literally meant the translation of that word was the Lord's house, which is kind of closer to how we think about church now, isn't it? There's a place that's God's house. Like how many times God's house, man, when I was a kid, I'd, you know, my dad was a pastor. And so I would spend just hours upon hours upon hours of the church building after he'd pick us up from school, but still had to work. And I'm running around and like, you know, we'd be getting into things and my dad would be like, you can't be acting like that in here. It's God's house. I'm like, well, God needs more snacks because I'm bored. And God definitely needs to clean his bathroom better. I don't know what he's up to, you know? So like, there's this idea that like, this was the dwelling of God, right? And it was, a, and it became a gathering place for any religious purpose, wherever the gathering was, became the church, right? And and over time, the idea of church transitioned from a gathering based on an idea to a place where people gathered. And in our New Testament, ekklesia, that word, that Greek word that we started with, that is, that's translated into the word church, but there's really no relationship between the idea of a gathering around a movement and an idea and a place to gather. 
That's not the connection that was supposed to be made with that word. In fact, it's a throwback idea to, to the Old Testament uh, Jewish ideas of the temple literally being the place where the Lord dwelt inside of the tabernacle. And it led to some terrible, terrible theology throughout the history of the church. I mean, just some things that we look back on now and we're like, how, how was that? How was that even a thought? And before long, the church was located in a building. And whoever controlled the building controlled the church. It controlled the scriptures. They controlled the people. And in many areas of Europe, they controlled the government. And there just became this mixing of what the church actually was and what it was out for. And uh, there were so many abuses that came up out of it. And what began as a movement distributing truth throughout the world became very, uh, very insider focused. It became very hierarchical. It became ritualistic. And in some cases, it even became pagan and immoral and destructive and extremely unethical in the way that it operated, which was in no way, shape or form a representation of what the early church was and how it started out. And listen, that, that, that same idea that developed in 300 AD, 300 AD about the church being a place and an entity that controlled things, that idea still exists today. That's probably more the dominant idea that pops into people's head when you ask about church than the movement itself. But then something kind of awesome happened. Right? It wasn't all bad. There started to be a little bit of a turn. In the 16th century, there was a guy that showed up in England and his name was William Tyndale. Many of you know who Tyndale was. And he was an author, he was a linguistic scholar, and he decided that it was time for the average person to have access to the scriptures. Because up to that point, people, people were only told what the scriptures were said. And people were told how that applied to their life and the way they should behave accordingly. And so whoever was doing the telling had complete control over what people's impressions and behaviors as it related to the scriptures was. Well, he said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put this in a translation that the average person can read, right? Because nobody had access. And if, and if you controlled the scripture, you controlled the Bible, you controlled the church, which then you controlled all those other things that we talked about. And Tyndale said, enough of this. The people need access to the scriptures. And he became the first person to translate the original Hebrew and Greek texts into English. And as you can imagine, the church leaders in Europe were not happy with Mr. Tyndale at all. In fact, he became an outlaw. He fled from, he fled from England into Germany, right? And he spent time there finishing his translation. And thanks to a guy named Gutenberg, who a hundred years earlier had invented the printing press, he was able to print copies of his newly translated scripture and began to smuggle those things into England for people to be able to have access to really for the first time in history in their life, having access to the scriptures for themselves. And suddenly the average person had a copy of the Bible in their hands and they could read it and they could understand it and they could start to make decisions on their own. And this did not sit well with the powers that be. So the institutional church as a, as a consequence of Tyndale's actions began to lose its power 
over the people and began to lose its influence. Well, they were done with this. And so they had him arrested and he went on trial during his trial. The, the, he accused the religious leaders uh, of manipulating the scripture to control the people and to gain political power. <laughs> In fact, he said this, he said, if it were left up to me, I will make sure everyone can read it for themselves, right? And one of the things that drove the religious leaders nuts about his translation was the way that he chose to interpret that word, ecclesia, when he came across it, because he did not use the word church, which had come to mean the place, the Lord's house, the structure or the institution. Instead, in his translation, when it came to church, he used the word congregation, which gave the importance and the power back to the people that made up the church, not the structure that made up the church. It was his attempt to turn the gathering of God's people back into what it originally was which was a growing multicultural, multi-centered gathering of people around the message of the resurrection of Jesus. And and Tyndale was right. Like the choices that he made and he he was right. Because Jesus put this idea out there originally. He was sitting around his disciples and sometimes he would just ask them trick questions. And he would say, "Who, who do people say that I am? He asked them one time. What's the word on the street? What are people saying? And then course, back to our trusty guy, Peter, who's the only one to ever answer. <laughs> he said, well, I'll tell you, the Messiah, the son of God. Jesus responds to him, yeah, that's right. And on this rock, I will build my church. <laughs> on you, Peter, on the rock, on this rock. Jesus clearly was not talking about building a building on top of Peter. <laughs> now, I think maybe eventually he got buried under a building, but that's a different story. <laughs> He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the movement, the gathering, the assembly. And he said, and the gates of death will not overcome it. Meaning no matter who dies or how many die, the movement that is the church will not die with it. It wasn't about a building. It wasn't about an institution. It wasn't about an organization. It was a movement. So how did it, how did it start How did it start? After the resurrection, Jesus spent about 40 days with his disciples. And as he's getting ready to depart, he leaves them with some final instructions and and in them, he predicts the beginning of the movement. And he's gathered with about a hundred people when this interaction takes place. Acts chapter one, verse six says this. And then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they weren't thinking about a movement that was gonna become the church. They were still thinking about the Jesus establishing the earthly kingdom. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we don't know what this little group of people were thinking when he said um, power, but they probably got excited. And when Jesus said they were gonna get power, you know, okay, Jesus, we're gonna get power. What are we supposed to do with this power? He tells them, you'll get this power and you will be with this power, my witnesses. And that little Greek word translated witnesses means exactly what we think when we think about a witness in court, right? Someone who will accurately relay what happened. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were at the time. In Judea, which was the broader area surrounding where they were. 
and Samaria, which was an area they didn't even go to and to the ends of the earth. Now, we don't know what they were thinking when he said this to them, but here they were with a man who Rome had crucified just a little earlier. And the religious leaders hated this guy, right? And then, and, you know, there, there's about a hundred of you and Jesus says, hey, hey, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna take this message all over the world to which time out. And they're like, Jesus, time out, time out, time out. Um, you do know how big the rest of the world is, right? Like there's only a hundred of us. To which now us looking back on that interaction, we would look at them and be like, do you guys know how big the rest of the world is? Because at that time, they only knew the Roman world. Like that was the extent of their idea of the rest of the world. But the movement would be larger than that. And that's exactly what happened. This group of people went back into the city. They met and they prayed together. And about two weeks later, something incredible happened. Um, it, was, it was the Jewish celebration of Pentecost. And the Jewish people and the Jewish converts from all over the world gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate. And Acts tells us that while this small group was together, that the Holy Spirit showed up in their midst in a powerful way, just as Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would. And it manifested itself in such a way that these individual followers were able to, and it's a great story. You need to go back and read it for yourself. Were able to speak the languages of all of the different people that had gathered in Jerusalem, even though they had never learned those languages. And so they went out in the city and they began to talk to people in their own language. And the people like who had gathered were like, wow, this is really crazy. Who are these Jewish people who can speak our language and communicate with us? And they were amazed. And all of a sudden they're like, kind of this buzz started in the streets and people kind of just started gathering and the crowd got a little bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and the significance of it was, is that it wasn't just a single language they were speaking. Like they were all speaking multiple different languages, which fed into the idea that Jesus said, what I'm doing is for the world, not just the Jewish people, for the world. Well, the buzz grew, large crowd began to form. Like we said, Peter couldn't resist taking advantage to preach the sermon, right? And as he begins to speak, here's what he said to all these people who were standing there in amazement of these people speaking their language. He said, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, here's his blaming, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, in this moment, Peter is basically recalling very recent history for them, right? This is only about two months after the resurrection. The people standing there hearing this, hearing this, hearing the name Jesus of Nazareth, they think, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know that guy. I saw him speak once, right? I saw him drag the cross down the road a couple months ago. I met some of his followers. He healed a friend of mine. I, I know that guy. Like This is somebody that they all know. And Peter keeps going, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. 
In other words, Peter's saying, listen, we're not simply teaching what Jesus taught. Because Christianity isn't about the teaching. It's about the event. He said, exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear, which was the spectacle of these followers of Jesus being able to speak these different languages to all of these different people. Then then he gets real personal. I know sometimes I've got to have it kind of in my talks with you guys. Sometimes I'm getting a little personal and stepping on some toes. I got, I got it from Peter. He says this. He says, therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. He reminded them again. He was laying it on thick. In other words, some of you were there, right? Some of you accused him. Some of you walked away and didn't defend him. Some of you chanted for his death, Right? This one who you crucified, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. And and, and a hush just falls over the crowd, right? Finally, somebody just cries out. Verse 37 says this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? We're guilty. We know we are. We did these things. You said what we did. But now it's too late. All of it's happened. What are we supposed to do? And then Peter replied, attend church regularly. (laughs) If you're following along in your bulletin right there, that's not what he said. (laughs) He didn't say that. I made that up. But but in this emotion, in this excitement, in this energy um, of the opening day of the church, when many of you think church, you think attend church. That that's what you're supposed to do. That's the role church plays. You're supposed to show up in it. I need to get back in church. You know, if you haven't been in a while and things are kind of falling apart, I need, I need to get my family in church. You know, I need to, it's about the place. But on opening day, when Peter gave the big opening sermon, right? Those words, attending church, that wouldn't have even made sense to them. They would have looked at you and been like, what, what are you talking about? What, what, what is going on right now? Now, I, may, I can see some of your wheels spinning. What I'm not saying is, oh, I don't have to attend church anymore. No, 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 no. That's not where I'm going with it. Hold on till I get to my point. But that wouldn't have made sense because the church was a gathering of people around a single event. There was momentum. There was a dynamic. It was to be spread around the world. Here's what P- Peter actually said when they said, what shall we do? He didn't say attend church. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Now, don't miss this because this is, this is amazing. Do you know who all who are far off is? It's you. It's me. We are who are all far off. It's your children, it's your parents, it's your siblings, it's your friends, right? This was Peter's way of saying, this isn't just a thing for Jewish people in this area at this time. This is for all who are far off, both geographically and chronologically throughout time. This will reach far beyond us here. And now as a multicultural, multi-generational movement. And here's how the crowd responded to what he said. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
I'd say that's a pretty successful first sermon. <laughs> Out the gate, right? 3,000. Whew. Imagine how much good we could do with the tithe from 3,000 people, right? We would, we'd change the city. But there was people, witnesses, who heard about, who had told people about the life of Jesus. 3,000 people who, the, he was talking to people who could have said, wait, 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 time out there, Peter. Time out, follow me, because I can show you where Jesus is buried, right? That's how close we were to the event. I could take you to his body right now, Peter. Like what you're saying is just gibberish. But no, in the place where he was crucified, two months later, 3,000 people in a singular day decided to follow the person, the message of Jesus. And 2,000 years later, the church is still gathering. It's still gathering. And it wasn't about the teachings. If you take every single believer, every single Christian around the globe, and you were to say, all right, what is it that you believe? Right, what, what is the common? And you were like, okay, well, we're gonna find the common beliefs, the ones that, that every Christian believes. The only common belief is Jesus, son of God, crucified and raised. From that singular point, it then scatters everywhere when it comes to beliefs. Like it goes all over the place. And there are just brilliant godly people that, that take all different kinds of positions on all of these other ideas and beliefs and don't agree with each other. And it, it's part of the reason why we don't take really strong, like this is how it is theological stances here. Because there's so many people who are so much smarter than me, spend so much more time in prayer and seeking God than I do, that, that disagree with each other and disagree with me. Who am I to say this is what it is? But the singular core belief that ties every Christian together, Jesus, son of God, death and resurrection, that is what holds us together. And the church is a movement around that Belief, right? And the church wasn't about church people because there were no church people at the time, right? It wasn't, it wasn't about any of the things that we think of today when we think of church. And throughout history, there's always been a remnant uh, of people who said, no, 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 it's not about a building. And of course, the bigger your building was, the more people you had, the more you didn't pay attention to the people saying it wasn't about a building. And they're saying, it's not about a hierarchy. I, I will not be controlled by this institution of the church. I don't need to go through somebody else to get to God. The scripture is for all people. And most of the time, those were people who were willing to give their life for the movement. And when we gather in Jesus's name, we are a part of that original movement. We are connected to those people, that movement called the church that began to gather that day in Jerusalem. And I want us as Tapestry, I want us to be a church that, that never loses sight of what it originally was and what it is supposed to be, what began that day in Jerusalem. And I want us to be a church that reflects that in our values and the things that we do. Because listen, church is not the exercise room at the YMCA. 
right? I mean, I mean, in the past year, that was taken away from us in the matter of days. Like something that I had heard about on the news and was kind of keeping track of, but seemed like something that was kind of nebulous and out there. All of a sudden, within a matter of days, everybody who was a part of us who knew was like, oh no, this is serious. You need to shut down. We, we literally, we were having, we, it was the Saturday of the old Savannah City Mission. And we had, I had spoken with a couple of doctors who were in the church and they're like, no, 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 this is serious. You need to like shut this stuff down now. And man, I remember Miss Karen pulling up to the old Savannah City Mission. She had the food she was gonna bring and me and Brad meet her at the car. And we're like, oh, you're not going in, Miss Karen. <laughs> We've gotten word. Like we're shutting it down. Like give us the stuff. We'll take it in there. Like we don't even want you going in. And for a year, the building of the church, it was taken away, right? Which was left with what? It's some hard questions we had to wrestle with. Some things we had to struggle through. All of a sudden, what are we if we're not a place where we meet together on a Sunday morning. And it's kind of brought some ideas back of like, nah, we need to get back to the idea of the movement and like what, what the church really was supposed to be and your role in it and moving it forward. So I don't know what comes to your mind when, when you hear the word church, but after today, I, I hope it's a little different because as we Spend the next couple of weeks talking about things that the early church did. Um, we're going to see some differences from the way that maybe we've done things in the past. And maybe we're going to have to make some adjustments. But that was the beginning, opening day, 3,000 people. That gets us through about Acts chapter 2. Acts is the story of the church. We got through about chapter 2 today. I, wa I want to encourage you to go and kind of read this story on your own. It's a fascinating story, but read it for yourself in your Bible that you get to hold because somebody decided, no, I want everybody to have it for themselves. And maybe let's begin thinking about ah, what did I think church was and what maybe really should it be? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for the scriptures that we have that tell us these stories, that kind of bring our focus back and remind us of the way things should be, the way things could be. Lord, I, I, in a really weird way, Lord, I thank you for the last year in which things were really difficult. And God, if I'm honest, there were times through it that I, I wasn't sure we would make it out the other side of it. But Lord, let this last year not be a waste for us, but let us take a step back and perhaps reconsider what it means to be the church. And Lord, I thank you that, that you draw us back to what you intend for us, both as individuals and as a gathering of people. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace.
and be with us till we can meet again. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out for another uh, week of service. And I hope you all have a great week. Look forward to seeing you again next Sunday.